Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Randy? I'm doing fabulous. Had a really cool experience this last weekend. I was out jamming with uh, the Beast and Char, and we were, uh, you know, just doing our normal Friday jam. And all of a sudden, this person comes walking at us, and they're walking with intent. And I'm like, oh, this person seems like they must know us. They're coming to us. And then as they got closer, I was like, that's Daniel O'Neill. Wow, I did not expect him to be walking onto the field. So it was a total surprise, like guest jammer, not having any idea that he was coming. So it was really a cool surprise. But he was in town for the weekend because he is uh, practicing or he was practicing with Emma Kale for the World Urban Games that are coming up. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, first of all, I'm really jealous that you got to jam with Daniel. And I love those kind of surprises when uh, guest jammers just show up out of nowhere. But yeah, World Urban Games is very exciting. And I'm glad to hear that they're practicing for it. Really excited to see what all the teams bring. And um, I'm actually going to be on staff, so I'll get to see it live in person. I'm showing up in Budapest, uh, Lori and I fly together and we show up on the 10th. And I believe that all the freestyle competition will take place on the 14th of September. Of September. So it's going to be live streamed, right? Is Frisbee Guru live streaming it or is, are, are they live streaming it or are you part of that? We'll be live streamed, but it won't be by Frisbee Guru. It'll be by the World Urban Games channel, I believe. Um, when I get the exact details, I'll post them up on Frisbee Guru so people can find the link. World Urban Games committee is taking care of everything. So they're doing all the live streaming. They're bringing in the cameras awesome. and the internet and everything. And everything's hosted on their channel. We have on-site commentator. And then we will have hopefully two, at least one, but hopefully two commentators on the live stream commentating over the routine so that people watching, because we're going to get a lot of viewers that aren't freestyle viewers. We're going to get people who are interested in world urban games overall. So we'll have commentary going on the whole time. Whether it will be me or somebody else is unclear at this point. Wow, that's really cool. This whole event is really cool. I mean, it's mixed pairs. There's $20,000 prize money. I think it's going to be a really great competition. I think, you know, Daniel and Emma and Ryan Young and Juliana Corver are representing the U.S. And I know there's a couple Italian teams. Eduardo Turi and Maxine uh, are going to be representing Italy along with another pair that I can't think of right at this moment. But um, maybe you can post a link to uh, all the teams team list uh, in this week's show notes. That would be great. Yeah, great idea. I'll go, I'll do that. And yeah, also that's uh, talking about Daniel O'Neill. It's a great segue into our episode today. We will be continuing our conversation with him and uh, he'll be telling us about his very first tournament experience. So enjoy. Tell us about your first tournament experience. Was there anything that stood out? What tournament was it? Stuff like that. My very first tournament was Virginia States 2010, April of 2010. I played with James Wiseman and Zanardi Emanuel Faustini. He was in New York for about a month that year. Um, and so we went down to Virginia and we played as a co-op. And Zanardi taught me and James a lot about what it meant to put together a routine, about what it meant to compete. Um, and we took it quite seriously. We did not make the finals. Uh, and I think it was like Joey, Roger, and Doug or somebody that like got our 
spot in the finals. I'm like, I remember me and James and Zanardi were pissed. Like we felt like we really deserved that spot in the final. <laughs> and that it was only because of their, you know, their names and, you know, and age that they got that spot over us. You got um, booshed at you your first boosh. tournament. That's yeah. how it always goes at your first tournament. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That was an important lesson to learn. And then, and yeah, I mean, it was a it was an epic tournament for us because you know we got to see all elements of freestyle. Virginia is probably the best tournament that you could go to. I mean, I I was enthralled by. It. I mean, that was the first time that I saw most other frisbee sports. Like, I think that probably was the first time I saw a disc golf and I'm, I love disc golf and MTA and I mean, all of them. Um, so that was a, that was a huge moment in my Frisbee life to go to the Virginia States 2010. I think I've been to every one except for one since then. And then soon after that, we went to the Jammers Championship. We just reached out to Paul Kenny on Facebook and said like, Hey, we're new players. We're thinking about coming. And Paul Kenny said, yeah, come down. You can stay at my place. Not even having met us, just completely opened his arms, brought us to his place. At that time, he still was living in a, not a condo, but he had a house and he had a garage full of Frisbees. He said to James and I, go into the garage, any Frisbee that you can find a duplicate of, you can take one. So we <laughs> spent all night rifling through Paul Kenny's garage trying to find, you know, multiple discs so we could show him and say, here's one for you and one for me and one for me. You know what I mean? And we, we made out like bandits that, that day. And, you know. You were in Willy Wonka's chocolate Frisbee factory, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was an epic, epic day. Those were our first two tournaments, Virginia States, the Jammers Championship. And then um, we went to... Uh, you know, Seaside Superhane before the World Championships. And then uh, World Championships in Seattle 2010 was my first Worlds. We made the semifinals. James and I barely made the semifinals, which was a huge accomplishment for us um, at that time. Uh, yeah, I mean, and then we started going to as many tournaments as as we could from from there. We can dovetail right into your Paul Kenny uh, experience since you just mentioned him. So why don't you talk about working with Paul and James and going on that journey to your first FPA title? Yeah, sure. So so we built that friendship with Paul from the, you know, from the Jammers Championship, um, which, again, is another tournament that James and I have been extremely loyal to and, and try to get to every single year. And so uh, I remember Worlds 2011. Paul played with, I can't remember exactly who he played with, but I, I remember he said, you know, we asked him if he would play with us. James and I asked him at, at the Worlds 2011, would you would you consider playing with us in co-op uh, next year? Because we knew that Paul was like a really good teacher and mentor, like was good at working with, you know, newer players. Like he had played with Gary and Balu a couple years earlier to, to good success. He is our close friend. And um so Paul said, okay, if we don't win in 2011, then I'll, I'll play with you. So, you know, I don't think he won that year in co-op. So we ended up teaming up for 2012. Uh, we, me and James were still in college at the time. So Paul flew up to New York. We put the routine together in my dorm room 
with a very low ceiling inside with no frisbee uh i don't think there's a video of me and james and paul in my college dorm room dancing around without a frisbee somewhere putting together <laughs> what would be our first world championship uh winning routine okay wait a second wait wait hold on a second so you guys are in your dorm room. i actually think i've been in that dorm room so i think i got a good idea of what this space was and it is it's small to say the least and so you guys put the the routine together without a frisbee? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's <laughs> crazy. crazy down, but, but, you know, I mean, you, it's not like we could really do m- most of the frisbee moves. And so uh, it was mostly it was mostly just kind of putting it together in my dorm. Then we went down, I think, for jammers and we got some practice, uh, you know, outside and some bad wind, which I think was really helpful for us. Actually, it was extremely helpful for us because in 2012 world championships the wind was very challenging it was uh on the beach in riccioni italy so it ended up being really great that we you know we built the routine inside but we definitely practiced outdoors and in bad wind when we got to the world championships in riccioni the wind was quite strong um and the tournament was right on the beach on a pretty you know small square platform uh, with some tents and an audience kind of around all sides. So that year we won our world championship. We had a bunch of execution errors, probably six drops or more, but everybody had a lot of execution errors and we held it together better than anyone else. We played from the sixth spot. We were the first to play in the finals and we watched every team after us, you know, not be able to, to handle the wind. I remember Larry was sitting next to me saying, you guys beat that team. You guys beat that team. I think you guys might have beaten that team. And we watched every other team after us. Um, probably would have broke my heart if, if we lost after that. But, you know, that, I remember that that to this day is probably um, one of my, you know, one of my happiest moments, my fondest memories in my freestyle career um, was, you know, winning my first world ch- title with James Wiseman and Paul Penny. Yeah, the first time is always the best. And I remember the conditions there that year because actually, Jake, you and I played together with Ryan there. And we actually had a pretty good execution score. So it speaks volumes to the creativity that you guys did with your routine, because that is really what brought you to that first place victory. And uh, I remember it was just really cool and exciting to watch. And I, I was super psyched for you guys as well. It also speaks volumes for visualizing that you, you didn't really build the routine with the Frisbee so much. I mean, you did, but you were visualizing it. And the power of visualization is really huge. Uh, I'm totally a believer in that and that you don't have to just pound a move over and over and over that visualizing it can be really powerful and one other thing that was really cool about that victory to me and that you know i think is important for new players is that that was less than three years from the first time that i saw freestyle frisbee or started playing so it was a quick rise to that first title for me Um, And I look at a lot of the players today and think, you know, with the hard work and a little bit of luck, they'll have the the same opportunity. What what I'm curious about, you've found a voice and and what your style is and and what you bring to a routine. It's really fun to have watched 
you kind of own that. And how much of a voice did you have in that original building of that routine with Paul? Like, was Paul the leader? Were you the leader? Like, was James? Like, how did that kind of come together? And and how did you learn? Definitely the first time around, Paul was the team captain and provided a lot of the strategy. It was his idea to play to Jethro Tull, thick as a brick. You know, James and I are both kind of loud voices so we i i think in both well we played together three times but yeah in all cases it hasn't been all smooth sailing building a routine with james and paul i think that there's a lot of you know yeah a lot you know when it's only because we all feel passionately about it and we want it to be awesome and we have different ideas about what that what that looks like probably kind of similar to the same same thing that the new york crew was trying to teach us from day one to stick to you know to stick with speed floats slow it down stick with the basics don't get too far ahead of yourselves james and i were you know are like yeah but let me go for this spinning or double spinning catch in this part because you know we need to raise our diff and paul saying dudes catch the disc play your part it's a three-person team it's a five-minute routine you know you don't win it all in one catch yeah i mean playing with paul has really taught me about how to compete in our sport Uh, he's he is truly one of the best competitors he knows exactly what his game is and he doesn't try and play anybody else's game um but he tries to you know, work with you to, you know, do the best things that you and, and, and he can do together or whatever that team is. So, so I feel really lucky to have uh, had Paul as, as kind of our, our mentor and to, to hold those two titles with him. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely going to bring that wisdom to the table of how to compete and that, that drop is going to be much more of a deduction than your triple spinning guidance. Um, you know, it's worth more to catch that thing. I I also like that idea of, you know, you guys have played multiple times together. And so there's probably that honeymoon period where you're all like kind of agreeing and you're kind of like having a good time, a good vibe. And then as you go to the next iteration of the team, everybody gains a little bit more experience. Everybody starts to have more of a voice and it starts to be a little bit more competitive of like, Hey, I want my vision to, to hold here. And then you go further down the road and then you get even more bold and the voice becomes louder for each person because you know, you've earned it. you you want to have, you want to have a right. You want to have a say in how the final product comes out. So it sounds like that's kind of how it all went for you guys. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's definitely the case, and and we're playing together in co-op again this year in Seattle. Um, Paul and I are playing in pairs. So, I mean, when I hear you say that, Randy, it's like my I my I I want to remind myself. My goal is to let James and Paul, two players that I admire and you know think the world of, to <laughs> I just want to play my part. I actually don't want to be a loud voice. Like I trust what they say and. So I I want to step off my ego and just play my part. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but that's a great a great goal to aspire towards. Oh, I try to remind myself daily. It's a <laughs> daily life lesson, man. <laughs> so this last year at FPA Worlds, one thing that really stood out to me in your in your performances, Daniel, is the amount of choreography that you put into your routine. So you had the the thriller routine with Emma, and then you had the juggling routine. 
they just just both were amazing. So I'm just curious, what is your approach to choreography, and how do you how do you integrate so much storytelling into your freestyle uh, competition? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I uh, I think the most important thing for I mean, I approach freestyle frisbee as a, as a sport and a competition. And when I go into the competition, I want to try to win the competition. So there's that side. And then there's another kind of side of me that's like, you know, I want to make something new and cool um, and kind of sh- share my personality um, and ideas through through my routine. I try and think about who I'm playing with and what they like, because I think, you know, at the end of the day, I want to make my partner look as good as possible and make them as comfortable as possible when they're out there playing. That's like the first goal is like pick the right teammate and then kind of think, well, what, who are like, what's our identity as, as a, as a team. When it comes to choreography for a routine, um, you know, I want to try and make new new things, do things that other people aren't doing. So t- typically start with the music. Like I think if you're going to build a routine, then you should have the music picked out. And um, like you can kind of do them in two separate boxes, like brainstorm your co-ops, your moves. But I think what makes a what makes storytelling come out in a routine is, I mean, there's a reason that we have music, you want to use it. And that's like a huge opportunity and not fully capitalized on in a lot of freestyle routines. Um, but I look at rhythmic gymnastics at other sports that similarly have music as a backdrop for uh, the competitive aspect. And, you know, I try and use the music. I think music is a huge part of it. I think it's just as important a partner as your partners. I mean, I look at music as being another partner out there on the field. And and I also, I, I really love how you said that, you know, first and foremost, you're going out there to win. Because I've always made that the first choice is I want to put something together that's going to win, but I want it to be a ride. I want to take people on a ride. I want it to be a four minute ride. I don't want it just to be broken up into individual moves. I want to kind of take people on that journey so they just like are with you and in it. And you have really become great at doing that and bringing people in. And I'm wondering if, you know, your experiences, you know, I know that you really have uh, studied a lot of theater and dance. If your experiences with like Cirque du Soleil or Palabolus, like what have you learned from that experience that freestylers could learn from, like their approach of art and dance and what could we learn from that experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think first and foremost, freestylers could benefit from like lifting up their eyes more. Just I think that there's a lot of focus that goes just right straight to the disc. Uh, you want to like, like in theater and dance, you need to project, like you need to like be open so that you know, the people at the back of the auditorium can see your eyes and see what you're trying to express. And so I think in freestyle, I try to open my eyes, actually see the other people that I'm playing with, not just the disc. And also think about, you know, not just the picture that the disc is making with what it's doing, but, you know, as a jam, as a, as a team, as a person, what's my body doing? What's the picture in space look like? 
you know, that it, it's it, cliche stuff, like just trying to extend your legs, jump a little bit higher. Um, what's, you know, when I catch it with my right hand behind my back, what's my left hand doing? Is it making some weird claw-like shape in front of my face or is it long and extended and, and helping the line that's created when, when I catch it with my right hand? So, right. you know, it's, it's just about, uh, I think, awareness, just having a spatial awareness um, and also just being willing to communicate and listen. I'm not, I didn't write any of that. I, I, everybody knows it, but there, it's good reminders. And that's the kind of stuff that as a, as an actor, as, as a dancer, you always have in the forefront of your mind. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, that whole idea about take your eyes up, like don't just be so focused on the disc, but, you know, lift up and reach out. And I think that is really key because that allows the audience to reach back. You know, because if you're just focused on the disc, you're in this like silo, you're alone. And the audience is kind of not really getting to be there with you. But once you lift up and you reach out, all of a sudden it becomes an inclusive experience. And that is really a subtle shift, but it is super key. You know, I really, I couldn't have said it better. I think that's great. You know, lift your eyes up, reach out. Yeah. That's the most specific answer that I've ever heard to that question. Yeah, like, I've been yeah. trying to answer that that simply for years. Yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> lift your eyes up and and see the audience and share yourself with the audience. So, so one thing that I know when I'm jamming, if I take my eyes off the disc, I lose. I can't delay it. I lose where it is in space. So, is there a trick to connecting with the audience to lifting your eyes up and not? always being focused on the disc, but still being able to keep enough focus that you can stay connected to it too. No, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, Jake. It's like, you got to look at the disc to delay it. And so that's kind of like, that's kind of antithetical to what, what I'm asking for, but, um, but you don't always have the disc. A lot of times your teammate has the disc and a lot of times the disc is in the air. So there's a lot of time and space to lift your eyes up and seeing is overrated i got that one from doug simon um, <laughs> that's a good one so sometimes like you don't have to see the disc as much as you think you do when you spin around you don't keep your eyes on the disc always you spot the disc and you kind of trust hopefully when permitting that it's going to generally be in the same trajectory that it was you know when you last left it so I think that's uh, that's important to just you know you you always want to have in your peripheral vision the frisbee and the other people that you're playing with. You don't always need to have both eyes fixed on the frisbee. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's plenty of times when you can take your eyes off the disc and be engaged with those that are around you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think another slightly different way of saying it or another thing that that uh i try to strive for in my game is to not impose my will on the disc but to just kind of do what's available and what's right in that moment and that's all that's something that's true like not just with the disc but with other players like sometimes i get frustrated because i feel like players like will with their body language or something kind of be forcing me 
to pass it to them or like be kind of trying to push me in a direction that I wasn't really trying to go. So I, I try to, there's a, there's a balance and a fine line between kind of being available for the people you're playing with and, um, and bringing ideas forward, but also, uh, you know, leaving space for the other people to have just as big for it to be a true conversation. I think generally right now in the world that people are not are are getting worse and worse at listening and they like to talk about, you know, themselves and their their own lens of the the world. So I try and freestyle to I mean I don't always do a great job of it, but I am I'm trying more and more to, you know, to really be a good listener when I play freestyle. Well, that is definitely great advice about not imposing your will. And that's certainly something that I am guilty of. I know that when I play with others, I can really push the envelope about where it's going because I kind of like to play at a speed. I, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm also maybe not listening to what, what direction people want to go. So I certainly could do a better job of being a better listener and not imposing my will on a jam. So I think that's something I can reflect on and take that advice and, and employ that in, in my future jams. Yeah, that's interesting. So I'm just reflecting a little bit about what you said and my experiences in jamming with you and then jamming with other people and I guess my own experience personally. I think one of the strengths that you have is that you you kind of sense what people's skill levels are and, um, you know, give them sets or moves or opportunities that are really relevant to what they can do, which makes them be a little bit more successful and have more fun in the jam. I think, I think that's actually something that's really inspiring and that I try to do as well. But I can also see your point about um, not necessarily listening because one thing that you also like to do is just get really close to people and kind of force them to mob up with you, whether they really want to or not. I guess there's a tough balance to strike there between knowing exactly when to force the issue and when to just sort of go with the flow. Uh, I don't really know how you strike that balance, but uh, I think it definitely takes some of each. Like somebody has to have some sort of will in the jam to make things go in a certain direction, but then at the same time, not everybody can impose their will. Yeah, it is definitely a fine line of like, how do you add and and how do you listen and, and all of that stuff. I guess it's just sort of something more to make that experience richer if you're conscious about it. You know, maybe pay attention to to that a little more and see what kind of experience it gives you. Mm -hmm. Well, I got to say, I really like, like not always, but I think it's fun when you get really close. Nobody else really does that. And I think it makes things happen that don't usually happen. You know, once someone is comfortable with it. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fine line, right? It's a fine line. Totally. But I do like applying that concept of listening. And I don't know, I, I say going with the flow, but listening is a nice way to say it. But I like that concept, not just for the disc, but for the jam and just for life in general. So I guess with that deep dive, we'll bring it back around and close out the episode. So just uh, want to touch on World Urban Games again. You guys don't want to miss it on September 14th. Look for the live stream and I'll make sure to post a link on Frisbee Guru so you can all find it. All right. Well, hey, Jake, on that note, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville. 
shooting the frisbees and live streaming freestyle frisbee.